0: this morning is Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 through 15, Uh, but before we dive into that, I thought it would be appropriate uh, for us to have a quick update about how things are going uh, with the residency and internship that we have going on this summer. Um, Many of you may know this, maybe some of you don't. We have brought on for the summer three men who are residents, interns, that have basically given the 12 weeks of the summer to specifically uh, engage people uh, with the the message of Jesus in this very neighborhood. You know, God placed us here, right? Like, if we look back over the last year and we see how did Renovation Church get to this place, it was very clear to us, based on the orchestration of events, the, the generosity, the provision that came forth that God was doing something that we didn't necessarily imagine at the time, but God was doing something to to send a people who call on His name, who trust in His Son, to this particular community. And here we are, nestled right next to the village of North Syracuse. Literally, the boundary is the road right here, uh, going east. And uh, we came to the realization that there are 6,500 residents and 3,800 homes, all of which we didn't know. We don't even know these folks. We don't know these business owners. And yet God had placed us here. And so what we did uh, for the next 12 weeks is bring on three men, Ethan uh, Fordham, who we're grateful he's serving us this morning and welcoming us and calling us to worship, Uh, Alex Morris and also Dan Hammond. And basically, the, the last month, these guys have lived in the world of ambiguity. Have you ever been told to, like, go meet people is your job? Right? So much for, for producing widgets and, uh, you know, hitting an assembly line. Go meet people 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, and just drum up uh, conversations and build relationships. And so what they've been doing over the last 12 weeks is, is really pioneering new relationships, They've been working closely with Teresa, uh, who is the director of parks. Uh, they're beginning to plan a community cookout uh, uh, on August 1st. Uh, they've also got rid of—we've uh, gotten rid of 750 door hangers. We've prayer walked many streets and many homes, uh, and they're—they're—they're they're, they're coming back with names, couples, situations. And uh, even one person went to the chiropractor and said that we are the buzz in town. Can you believe that? Renovation Church is the buzz in town. And again, that's all because we have these three men and a couple of other people who are intentionally uh, giving themselves to just the simplicity of shaking hands, meeting people, showing up at the park on Monday nights, playing basketball, Ethan has bought a disc golf set. Do you know that that's a disc golf course? And so, next thing you know, you're going to see Ethan over there throwing throwing uh, throwing frisbees around. And we again, there's still so much like still in the realm of possibility, and we haven't seen the complete fruition of these things yet. Nor should we expect to see it overnight, right? People are hard work, and it takes time. For us to establish credibility here. But what an amazing thing to see what God is beginning to do as we make these kind of investments. Can we praise God for that together? Right? That's why we're here. And so, here's my encouragement to you. Pray for these three guys. They need it. You know, when somebody tells you, these are all three introverts, okay? You tell them, go meet people. It's like, "Ah!" You know? So... God is giving them courage. They're doing a great job. They're stepping out in faith. But pray for them, that the Lord gives them opportunity and they step out of their comfort zones in many ways to see God move through them. And beyond praying for them, I would encourage you to consider how you can get involved with them. You know, Ethan put something on the city this week. Every Saturday morning from 9 to 11.30, Ethan's prayer walking. So if anybody wants to join And even once this summer, maybe each and every one of you say, you know, once this summer, I'm going to join with Ethan for an hour, for a couple hours, and pray with him. Meet some people. Uh, Maybe you need to take your cell phone out right now and put down August 1st, 12 to 2, you're going. You say, oh, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, for the sake of mission, maybe for a couple hours we can give up one Saturday this summer to maybe see God do some neat things. So mark that down. Uh, There's some other service opportunities. Uh, And if you want more specifics about how you can get involved, see one of these three men. The point is I think it would be a waste for us to simply kind of go into summer chill mode completely and to miss some opportunities because October 1st is coming. There will be 12 inches of snow on the ground and you won't see anyone till Easter next year. So take the opportunity while you got it, okay? Can we do that? All right, I'm done. Let's read together Exodus 20. We continue our series in Exodus. We're in this segment uh, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We're we're reading each week, and we're adding a verse or a section or a command, and we're leading up here to verse 17, which is kind of the conclusion of this section. So I want you to uh, follow along with me uh, as I read uh, and trust that the Lord will Or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, our focus for this morning you shall not steal. And this is God's word and all God's people said, Amen. I think I was like eight years old. I'd been begging all year for a bike. Yes, I did. I begged all your Dad, Mom, please give me a bike. You know that silver shiny one with like the the, the megs on the back and the pegs and the megs, whatever those things were. I'm a little out of touch with those things now, although Silas and the other kids are, are not so out of touch. But anyway, I remember begging for this bike, and I remember every gift, like opening, like this box is too small for a bike, but maybe it's like a helmet or maybe it's like, you know, part of the bike. And so like, the sweatpants, the underwear that I always got, I don't know what, like, the, remember the cargo sweatpants? Like sweatpants that had pockets with Velcro? Yeah, every year, mom seemed to give me sweat, cargo sweatpants. I was like, you know, nobody's going to like me if I wear the cargo sweatpants. But anyway, so at the end of all the presents being opened, guess what? No bike. Ah, a loss, right? No bike. And then my dad said, oh, shoot, there's one more gift. Can you go into the, into the, uh, into the, the porch, the three-season porch, and go grab, I can't remember what he told me, go grab this, that, and so I said, fine, and I kind of meandered into the porch, and sure enough, a light from heaven came shining down, and there was my diamond back bike, and I got it, I was so excited, and I had to wait four months to ride it, because it's the middle of winter, right? But man, when I got my chance, I took off and I went to school. But I made one mistake. I did not bring the lock for the bike. And so I parked my bike and I thought, I'll be good, you know. But I wasn't good. After school, I went to go get my bike. And guess what? My bike was gone. It was stolen. And I was so mad. As you could see in my face probably right now as I tell the story. I was so grieving loss, a prized possession that was clearly mine. This is my bike. I have the right to its use and nobody else. And somebody deeply offended me, it was the owner of this. I'll never forget another moment in high school where I had parked my car, and again, my high school was at the South Side, and I'll never forget coming out after school, you know, trying to make it home in seven minutes. Like, that's just kind of how I live, like, be the record, like, beat yesterday's time. So I flew out of the high school, and I opened up the door and noticed that on the other side, there was a broken window. Someone had gone in and done the unthinkable. Stolen 50 worship CDs out of my car. (laughs) And then that was really offensive because here's the deal. Who wants a worship CD? Nobody wants a worship CD. So the only thing I could figure was the only reason they stole it was to really get me. Like, nobody's going to pay you for those. You're not getting any money for that. But you went in and you took that 50-CD magazine and you just had to take it from me. Many of you have been through these kind of situations? Maybe some of you were the, some of you are like, that was actually me on the south side. <laughs> I was wondering what kind of a loser had those Winds of Worship CDs back in the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been there? The victim of that, the offense. Somebody assumed the right. Someone did not ask you. If they would have asked you, you probably would let them borrow it. Maybe you would have handed it to them. But they did not ask you. Stealing is such a part, theft, robbery, all of those kind of words, is such been a part of kind of some memories, just a Rolodex of memories. I'm sure some of you have been through similar things. And yet we see this command. Verse 15, you shall not steal. It's as simple as that. It's very similar to last week where it's just a a prohibition. Don't do it. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not in any way, shape, or form take something that does not belong to you without permission. In setting forth this prohibition for Israel, the Lord is basically rising the value of ownership, right? He's setting a norm for society and giving value to ownership. You're not to treat each other, nor your, each other's possessions, one another's possessions, with the assumption that you can just take whatever you want from one another without permission. And so he sets this prohibition. You cannot take a look at your needs, your desires, and assume that the best way to deal with your needs The best way to provide for yourself, or even an acceptable way to do that, is to do it at somebody else's expense without their permission. There's an honoring, there's a respect that that God would have his people give one another, that that the community of people that would represent him would be a people that would respect and honor ownership as part of their community. That if there's need, the way to meet that need is to not take from another for yourself. There's another way. There's another way. So you could expect that as Israel is redeemed out of Egypt, right? that they're on the way through the wilderness in the desert trying to figure out how they're going to eat, trying to figure out how they're going to drink, how they're going to provide for their children, how they're going to take care of their wives, how they're going to be satisfied and just be safe. And so you could see the possibility, the temptation to say, in order to take care of my own, I've got to take from someone else just to survive. Could you see that? And so the Lord is saying, yes, this is an issue. This will be a temptation for you. And if you look forward which we're not going to go through it in Exodus 22, there's a whole section devoted to stuff. About livestock, slaves, people, things, possessions. If this happens, this is the consequence. This is how restitution will be made. And so this became a very real reality for Israel, and God knew that. And I think for us, we may say, well, we don't necessarily have issues like that, right? No, we do. Theft is a, an epidemic. America, as a society, the world really uh, lives in the pain of this and in the temptation of it as well. I was shocked to hear of a story this just this week about a Walmart in Oklahoma. Maybe some of you read this as well, about 11.15 in the morning, the armored truck guy showed up at a Walmart in Oklahoma. Right? He had his gun, he had his, his gear, he had his vest, he had his hat, he had his bag, and he had his keys. He just came from the armored truck, so he came into the Walmart in Oklahoma, and he said, okay, it's time for the cash deposit, as it is every day, right? Walmart's got a lot of money, and they need an armored car to deal with it, right? They need those controls. So 11.15, the guy walks up to the counter, and the look of shock on the employee's face. Oh, no. It's the armored truck guy. But the armored truck guy just came 45 minutes ago. Some guy dressed in under armor. It's funny, they review the tape, and then you realize somebody wasn't thinking, right? Guy's got like a Nike shirt on, but it's tight. He's got one of these vests. He's got some gear. He's got a hat. Guy walked right up to the counter 45 minutes earlier, walked out with $75,000. Nobody knew. Robbery. Theft. Happens all the time, and we're shocked, but it's real. How about identity theft? Isn't that the big one today? Don't tell anyone your Social Security number. You say, well, that won't happen to me. Well, I'll tell you what, 2013, no, 2012, uh, when I got a job doing taxes, I had to submit my information to the IRS to get a tax prep preparer ID number or something like that so that I could be officially signing tax documents, right? So I applied to the IRS, and it came back rejected. I thought, man, I I didn't know they knew about those issues in my life. No, it got rejected. You know why? Because somebody already filed a 1040 in my name on a college campus in North Carolina. And so my social security number had been ripped off, and some college student was trying to make like $3,500 off my identity. The IRS, thank God, caught it and basically uh, stopped everything. In reference to my social security number, so I couldn't get a tax ID, uh, preparer ID number. I cu- I couldn't do anything, and I had to file a paper. Uh, I couldn't e-file that year. It was really annoying. But I wonder if many of you too, throwing out some of your your documents or emailing something uh, or, or whatever, maybe emailed a credit card. There's some sort of identity theft. Uh, there's an attempt made to take something that is rightfully yours that you own, and. Anybody else gone through this? Am I the only crazy person? Yeah, see some of you here, hands up. Do you know that 15 million dollar, I'm sorry, 15 million residents have their identities used fraudulently every year in this country? 15 million people. And it costs 50 billion dollars a year, identity theft. How about employee theft? How about that, Joe? weren't you on the news in the last month? We don't know if it was an employee, but it looks like an inside job. Somebody busts through a wall with a sledgehammer trying to take the safe at one of the OIPs. Right? And I've heard many business owners say, everybody's stealing from me. You've got to assume it. Everybody. Turns out 75% of employees in the United States, 75% of employees uh, have stolen at least once from their boss in the last year. Now that ranges from you know cutting out 20 minutes early without telling anybody and messing with your time card to taking a pack of of maybe paper clips home for personal use to taking money out of the drawer. So it's wide range. But still theft nonetheless. 75% of employees steal from their employees at least once in a given year. Scary? But assumed. How about tax evasion? Say, uh-oh, somebody's hitting somebody here. Trying to cut corners with the federal government. Three hundred and thirty-seven billion dollars a year, estimated by one accountant, is revenue loss for the United States government just by cutting corners. Three hundred and thirty-seven billion dollars. We're thieves. We are. And these are the biggies. We haven't necessarily got down to some of the to the minor things where we lose integrity over uh, the guy who accidentally dropped 20 bucks in front of us at the mall and we're saying, did anybody see that except for me? Maybe I'll pick it up and put it in my pocket, right? Does anybody notice? We are thieves. And the question becomes, why would we steal? I think it's simple. One psychologist said that the reason why people steal is because they feel desperate. They feel as though they have to. Right to provide for themselves. They might be in a financial situation where it just seems absolutely necessary. The only way out to take care of oneself and to provide is to steal. It's out of desperation. Their kids need food. So it's a, it's a need to provide. The other issue is, is deprivation. Right? Often people steal because they feel deprived of something that they feel they deserve. Why so many employees probably justify taking a little money out of the drawer because they work really hard and the boss doesn't see it. Right? And I worked 15 more minutes last night so what's another slice of pizza when nobody's looking? You get the idea. They feel entitled. Out of a sense of entitlement, out of a sense of deprivation, this is something... I deserve and I've been unfairly deprived of. It's about dealing with needs and wants and taking a look at other people who have what we want and we need and assuming ownership over it without their permission. That's stealing. Any way, shape, or form that we do that. And so the Lord takes a look at how we deal with our needs and our wants in relationship to one another and says do not seal. Don't do that. Don't take from one another without permission. There's a better way to deal with your needs and your wants that is more representative of who I am. And I think that's the issue here at stake. Remember the uses of the law. The use of the law, right? Calvin talks about it. We've we've talked about it often in this. It's that the law is here to reveal the nature of God. So in commanding us to not steal, there is a revelation of the righteousness of God in that. There's also a restraining of our sin. It's creating a boundary. Don't do this. It's a restraint. And last, it's a reflection. It's a revelation of who we are. It's a mirror. We look at it and we see that we are, by nature, people who respond to desperation and deprivation by wanting to take from someone else, to do whatever it takes to have that itch scratched, to have that need provided for, to have that entitlement given. But we see that stealing is absolutely inconsistent with the nature of the God that we worship. Right? That's what the law is. So a people that live representatively of the righteous God that they're worshiping. It doesn't fit. It's swimming upstream into the nature and the character and the righteousness of God. Theft just doesn't make sense for a people redeemed by the Lord. That's not the way in which they should be relating to one another. Right? If you look back, these have been a people who have been redeemed by the Lord. That is, the Lord does not steal his people. The Lord saves his people, right? He is no thief. Although Pharaoh might have thought, man, what happened here? These were my people for 450 years, and this God called Yahweh shows up and rips me off. But that's not the case. The Lord took of himself, went to his people of his own initiative, and brought back those who were his own. He's the owner of these people. And I think about the nature of salvation, and is that not what it is? Has sin not ripped us off? And are we not a saved people, not stolen by the Lord? Are we not a people in whom the Lord takes from himself, giving of himself so that he might redeem a people back to himself whom he owns? That's what Israel had experienced in chapters 1 through 13. God taking back what is rightfully His. And then we see verses or chapters 14 through 19, where God is providing for them in their desperation, in their deprivation, what they wanted, what they needed, just to survive. The Lord was miraculously taking care of His children. There was no need to steal when you worship a God like that. It's absolutely no necessity, and it's completely antithetical to how they've been saved and how they've been cared for. Is this not the same for us? Why would we relate to one another with theft, with with taking from someone else for ourselves when we worship a God like this? It's antithetical. It's inconsistent. Absolutely so with the nature of the God we worship. And therefore... Stealing is not the, God's will for His people. I think this is rooted in the nature of God. God is not one that takes from others for Himself. God is one that gives of Himself for the sake of what? Others. Is this not our God? We need to be reminded of that. That our God is generous, Amen. He is gracious. He's merciful. He's not ripping us off in any way, shape, or form. He is gracing us. He is blessing us abundantly. And that the thief is completely in contradiction to the nature of our God. You say, that's kind of a stretch. I say, not really. John ten ten. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the thief does. But in talking to his disciples and others and confronting the Pharisees and their questions and doubts, he says, but I...